Good morning. Does everyone feel like they got an hour less sleep last night? You guys can't complain. You're in the second service. Come on. Um, no, uh, we're gonna we're gonna begin. We're, we're beginning a series today that we're gonna we're gonna take kind of pause on Matthew and come back to it after Easter. I feel like it would be really really good to spend a little bit of time to focus in on Easter. And so we a lot of times churches will just kind of go and go, and then it's like, oh, here's Good Friday, here's Easter, let's just do it and then move on. And so instead of this year, we decided that we're gonna spend a little bit of time. Um, talking, building up to Easter, and then we'll do one week after Easter as well. So we're starting a series today called that we've entitled "Devoted to the Mess," and it's mainly around relationships in general, not like just marriage. So if everyone's like, "Oh, great," no, it's relationships in general. So we're going to talk about that, um, and we're going to be in this. We're going to be in Matthew and a couple other scriptures, but today we'll be in Ephesians. But um, I don't know. I guess let's just do it. Let's do a consensus. Let's real quickly. How many of you have a relationship in your life right now that is broken? Raise your hand. Amen. Shouldn't be too excited about that. Come on now. Right? <laughs> Most of us have a relationship that's messed up, that's broken. And I believe that probably the reason why we do is because we view friendships and relationships as conditional. We believe that, that, that relationships are conditional and therefore they can come and go. And, and there is a certain ebb and flow of life where sometimes relationships or friendships due to distance or, or life changes that they just kind of, you're not as close as you once were or the others. But what I'm talking about is specifically relationships that are broken. Relationships that are, are broken because of sin, broken because of poor choices, broken because of, of your actions, their actions, pride, uh, lack of humility, whatever it is, relationships that are a mess. In fact, if you kind of just took a survey of where we were and in general relationships, you'd realize that it's, it's a mess. I mean, it's, it's a complete mess. In fact, if you kind of take two extremes, we have on one extreme, there's those of us in the room that we have so many walls built up from years of burned and pain and difficulties that there are so many walls, it's like we're just waiting to shoot someone before we'd ever give a chance to be their friend. We're like a Fort Knox walking around. And it's like no one can ever get to know you because you have so many walls up that they can't get in, and there's no way that you're ever going to get out because if you had to open up and let those walls down, you would be vulnerable, and therein lies the problem. You would be, you would be risking getting hurt like you have in the previous time. And then we have the other side. We, I, I like to coin it extroverts because I'm an extrovert, but it's the people that, that, like, you like lots of people, you know lots of people, but you're known by none. You hide without the walls, but you hide with your personality or making people like you. Or we hide in the way that we will, we will be liked by lots, but not known by any. And so we, these two extremes where we got one side of this wall up that, that it's impossible to break in. So you, you, you're, new, you're, you're new to a space. You're maybe new to this, this extension of God's church. And you, you can't find friendship. You can't do it because there's so many walls. You've been so burned, and you just don't have the energy to do it. You're not really that devoted. And the flip side is, is maybe you're just, you've been around and everyone knows you, everyone could say your name, but what could they really say about you that's true of who you are? And then there's everything in the middle, and those are two extremes. In fact, I want to blame social media. I think social media has played a massive, massive hindrance into relationships in general. Let's just think about it. I, like, I use Facebook, I get it, and there's, there's friendships that I have in the Philippines that I'm able to stay in contact with because of Facebook, so I appreciate the good in it, but I would say 9 out of 10 of us in this room are controlled by social media as opposed to controlling it. Where we use social media as an excuse to disengage from people. We can know them at a distance, at a safe distance. In fact, you know, it's, it's weird, I, I was doing some research on Facebook to try and figure out, like, I don't like that they use the word friend and unfriend. Have you ever thought of that? Like, 
someone, you know, requests you, like, they want to be your friend. It's like, it's like a grown-up version of four-year-olds having to, like, making friends on the playground. Like, you're my friend. Oh, you just took my toy. You're not my friend anymore. It's like we just kind of view friendship as this, this, this social media wall that's like, oh, well, now you're my friend or now you're not. There's actually leadership paper, like, in, like, big leadership, like, guru stuff on how to, how to not unfriend someone but work around so you don't have to interact with them on social media. Like, they have, they've traded, like, here's a good way to, to make it so you don't have to be friends with your boss anymore, but you don't have to unfriend them. And it's just, this, it's just this mess. In fact, I'm going to push on you college students. I don't know if you know this. Like, this is, this is a dying thing. I'm not that old, but I don't know. The, the cell phone that you have, did you know that you can actually dial a number and talk in it? I, I, I'm sorry. This is a pet peeve of mine. Someone will text me, and I'm like, I can't text. I'm, I'm getting ready to drive or whatever, and my wife yells at me for that, which is good because I shouldn't do that, right? And so I pick up the phone right at the text, and I dial, and then no answer. How is that possible? Come on. You just had the phone in your hand. Like, there is no way you got rid of it that quickly. The problem is, is we are distancing ourselves relationally. We are afraid of talking because we might be saying something wrong. We're afraid of interacting in a relationship because it's, well, it's messy. And, and let me just save you the end of this series, right? It's going to be hard, and it's, you're going to get hurt. And people will take advantage of you, and you'll be burned. But let me just say it this way. I had a friend say this it was so good, and they were talking specifically, I don't remember how the context, but she said it this way. She said, don't put a history on something that doesn't belong to it. And a lot of us are putting histories of poor friendships on new friends. Or you're putting histories of poor church experiences on this church. Don't put a history that doesn't belong there. And so what the point of this series is, the hope of this series is that at the end, we would, we, would, we would know differently what it means to be a little bit more devoted to relationship. And I want to just, I want to pause for a second because I feel like it's, it's worth saying this, and please hear me on this. Some of you do this so well. You do such a good job of this. I have seen it over and over again. We've had some ridiculously hard things happen in this community. I have seen you guys pour out love in ways that make no sense to this world. We had the, the fire in, in the Philippines in Perola, and we, we just found out about it, and Jess had the idea, hey, we should send some, some money to help them because Parola's not in Novotis, but it's, it's an area where William and Mercy have been doing Bible studies, and they have about 18 families that do this. And this fire started, and it decimated the entire community, not just these 18. And we're like, we should do something. And so we just, just kind of put it up on Facebook to see what happened. And like over $3,800 came in to send to them. And so I've seen you guys engage in this in a beautiful and real and authentic way across the board. But my assumption is every single one of us have a step further to go in this. We have a next step. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the relationships in general, how we, when I say we, we'll talk about that today, but how we relate to the world, how we relate to each other, and how we relate with Jesus Christ, and then ultimately how that plays out in marriage the week after Easter. And so we're going to work through this all the way through, but, but to do that, we have to get some ground rules. And at first is, this is going to be hard, because this is why we call it devoted to the mess, because, well, let's be honest, relationships are really messy. You overread, you underread someone, you offend someone with the past, you don't even know you offended, and then they're mad at you, and then they offend you, and, and then you don't even know what you're fighting about anymore, but you just don't like each other, so you unfriend each other on Facebook, and it creates this mess. And it's just over and over and over again. And so my hope is, is that when we get done with this, that you would be a little bit more devoted to the mess, ultimately because Jesus was devoted to this mess, and to you. In fact, like, I think we take the church so lightly when 
we forget that God sent Jesus Christ to die for the church. He takes it very, very seriously. And so we're going we're gonna to dive in. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to today, I'm going to define how we're going to talk about we and theys and others so that it's a simple conversation going forward. So in Ephesians 2, I'm just going to read from you real quickly here. Um, if, if we can define how we're going to engage in this, then we obviously have to believe that the Bible has something to say about what we do with other relationships. So, so we're going to look at Ephesians 2, and, and the Apostle Paul's is such a great section of Scripture, and I'm not going to do it justice because there's so much more than this than we have time for today. But in verse 17 is where we're going to pick up, and the Apostle Paul has just talked about how there's this oneness in Christ, and there was no law that came beforehand and, or that, that, that made them right. And so he's basically saying, look, now Gentiles and Jews, he's, he's laying this line out where he says these two are now one because of what Jesus has done. And so verse 17 um, picks up and says, And he, the he here is Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I'm going to pause right there. I want to talk about near and far real quickly. Um, this was something that was, like when Jesus was explaining this, every single Jewish person, or uh, Paul was explaining this, every single Jewish person, including Paul, understood the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. They knew that the Messiah was coming. They had this understanding as Jewish people that the Messiah was coming, and we are a part of God's kingdom because of our birthright through Abraham, Right? Abraham, many sons, we are one of those, that song, remember it? No? Okay. Anyways, that was a little dance for you. Um, that was free. Uh, so he, out of that, they have, this, they have this understanding that they were there. But what ended up happening, what Jesus kind of unfolds right before this, is he's essentially saying that, that religious, religiously working out or trying to get to God is, is a, a separate from the relationship is actually hostile towards God. Meaning that you can't work out yourself, you can't work it out apart from the relationship of Christ. And what he's proving is that everything that was done ahead of time is good and beautiful, but it's, it's all been culminating and pointing to the need of a Savior, the need of the Messiah. And even all the Jews knew that. They knew the Messiah was coming. And so he's saying, if you are working it out, you're trying to get there, and you're doing it, and you're doing it apart from relationship with God, you're actually hostile to the very thing God is doing. And so he says, what Jesus did is he brought peace. He brought peace to those who are far and near. Now, far in this day and age, what they're talking about here are Gentiles. Those are people that were not born as Jews. They were not a part of the, this, this um, chosen people, and they were always on this, because of that, on the outside. They were always, they were always these, these aliens kind of separate people where they weren't allowed to be a part of the system because they, weren't, they didn't have the birthright. And those who are near are the Jews, and they were the people that had known all of these things. They, they'd raised in it. They knew the Messiah was coming. They had all these understandings of the commandments, and they've, they'd heard the whole old scriptures, and they'd hold all the Old Testament and all that other stuff, and they understood it. How that translates to us today, those who are near are kind of like, um, kind of like the, the, I would say, the, the people that grew up in the church. You spent your whole life in church. In fact, when I said Ephesians 2, you're like fastest one there check it out you know you're like yeah check me out I was raised in the church right you got like all your scripture memorized and you were in and around it and you you like you know it right you've been in it and you've been you've grown in it your family's grown in it and honestly that's a beautiful beautiful thing my prayer for my daughters is that they would never know a day where they weren't with the Lord that they would never know a day that they would just they would just be captivated by him at an early age and what happened is those of you that are near at some point, it became more than the Awana patches. And God came in, and he saturated your heart and said, no, no, it's a relationship. 
And so he took all of that beautiful thing that he was doing with his word and all that training and all that understanding he had, and he captured your heart and brought you into this beautiful relationship. And those who are far, those of you, you don't, you don't have any history in the church. In fact, you, you have little, little to no history in the church. Maybe some of you are here today like, I still don't know if I believe in the church. I'm not even sure if this is the whole thing. And so those who are, are far are these people that, that I didn't, wasn't raised in a church. My parents didn't take me to church. I didn't, in fact, I don't even know where my parents are. They weren't existent. And you got saturated in, in something hard in life, you, you, maybe addiction, or you, you ran down pornography so far that you're just lost in it, and you got this, this disgusting life. And then what ended up happening out of that disgust is God grabbed you and said, I have grace for you. And he took you as far as way as you possibly could be, and he grabbed your heart and he created a new spirit in you, and you became a precious child of God, and he sat you right next to each other in a chair in a church building, the Iwana superstar and the attic. And he said, you are both my children, near and far. And I want to add one more group in there. I'm going to call it the nearish group. This is extra. This is mine, okay? The nearish group is the people that, that maybe have been in and around the church the, the church planning organizations today call them de-church, people that have spent time around the church so long, but they got so offended by her and so beat up by her that they ran. At some point, they're like, I can't uphold its standards. This is ridiculous. This is too hard. And they just flat out bailed. And they ran away from it. Like, forget this. I keep falling short. I'm trying too hard. And then somewhere along the way, Jesus loved you enough to let you go to that end of that, and he rescued you from that from trying to be good all the time and said, I am enough. And there's so many other versions of that story. That's what's so beautiful is that you could not get the same story for any one individual. And that's the kingdom of God breaking in one person at a time. So what Jesus is, or what Paul is saying is ultimately, hey, he's brought Jesus, Jesus has brought peace to those who are super far Super, super far. Like they didn't even seem like there was a, they were a long shot. They were, they were, in fact, they were so far that a lot of the people in the church didn't want them to be a part of the church. And Jesus brought peace to them. You know what this text does is this basically says that we don't have the right, we don't have the right as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a child in his kingdom to be offended by his grace being extended to murderers and prostitutes and anyone else. Because God can bring peace to those who are far. And he can save those of us that are near. Right? And he does it through Jesus Christ. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, look, there's a people group. And what he does is, I, I love this, in verse 18, he says, he says, for through him peace, or for through Jesus, the him, is, the him is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. To the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Here, this, this is so important. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This doesn't, sit, like, this doesn't sit well for us because I don't know if you know it, we live in a really safe area. And we have all kinds of rights as just citizens of America. Right? You, you call the police for any reason. You dial 911 for any problem. My cat's in the tree. I don't own a cat. That's a bad idea. Um, the cat's in the tree or, the, um, or something bad has happened. You dial 911, whether you're a believer or not a believer, whether you hate God, you love God, whether you're, you're, you're Hispanic or American, doesn't matter. The police show up. You can call them right now. In this area, if you called for a cat, the helicopters and SWAT show up. It's ridiculous. It's just my cat. Leave me alone, guys. But I don't have a cat. I don't know why I keep using that. Anyways, um, the, the, the point is, we live in this, we have these rights. 
as American citizens, we get this, we get this freedom that, that entitles us to all these different things. To this people, to the Gentiles to hear this was such a beautiful thing to hear. And yet, at the same time, so hostile to the Jews. Because what he's saying is birthright doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. Jesus is bringing you. You were once an alien stranger. Whether you were a Jew or you were a Gentile, until you were put together on Jesus Christ, you were a stranger. And then what's so beautiful about this text, he says, I took you. And you became, you became a part of the household of God. You're a part of the household of God. Now, that, that means that when you are in this family you're in, you're not a visitor. You're not a visitor. You're, you are a part of the household of God, and therefore you are in. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer not known. You're no longer unwelcomed. In fact, you're invited into this. And so he says, I took those of you that were strangers, and I made you one. You became one. And then he goes on. And in verse, verse 20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Apostles and the prophets, it, it, there's a lot there and, and to go into Scholastica. Essentially, it's the people of God teaching the word of God. It's the reason why we're in a text today is because I don't have any, any authority other than the scriptures. Right? So these, these are the people. So this was built on the people of God proclaiming the word of God, and now we are in place proclaiming the word of God as a part of that. So we're built on that. We're built on what was said and done before us. We're built on the word of God. We're set in this, the word of God. And then he goes on and says, not only apostles and, and, and prophets, but actually the, the main point, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, that we are built together far and near. We are built together as those people far and near because of Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. This is why it is, it is kind of silly to get super, super excited about something apart from Christ. Because ultimately, if we as a church decided that we're going to be all in, which we are, we're all in in, in helping sex trafficking and social justice, we're going to work so, so hard. But if Christ is not the cornerstone, that will fall apart. That will fall apart. It's why, it is why we invest in William and Mercy and in, in, in Devotus because Christ is the centerstone there, and he is working out and building up his work, his kingdom. And that's the point. So the only reason and why this is such a big deal as Christ the cornerstone, is it because if you haven't experienced God's grace, you will never extend grace. So if I'm not in a spot where I've experienced the grace of God, where he took and renamed me child of his, then I'm not going to extend the, 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 the grace of God. See, something happens in you. Something very beautiful and transformative happens when you say, I'm an addict, and he says, no, you're precious. Something happens, he says, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lost cause. He says, no, you couldn't be any more wrong. You are, you are my child. See, when you experience that grace, it becomes the cornerstone of how you live your life, and therefore it enables you to live out that grace with others, to extend that grace, to be that. Christ has to be the foundation. If you are coming to church just because you feel like you should come to church, or you, you kind of have this idea of, of God, and you're just kind of walking around the outside, but Christ is not the center, then you are going to fall hard. Christ is the center. He is the founder. He is the, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the cornerstone. Without the cornerstone in building, everything else falls. And Christ is the cornerstone of this. And so he's saying, I am making you people far and near, built on the word of God, and Christ is the cornerstone. 
a people. One. You are one. And then he goes on. And in verse 20, he says, okay, so built on that, then verse 21, cornerstone. So Jesus himself being this cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is so provocative. See, Paul is talking about the temple. The temple in this day was the center of everything. It was a center of worship and relationship and, and, and atonement, sacrifices for sin. The temple was everything. And what Jesus essentially is saying, or what Paul is essentially saying, is Jesus is building a temple that is not built from stone or concrete or wood, but is built by one individual at a time through the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is you, those of you that have surrendered to your life, to the, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are now the church. You are now the temple. This is like, we get that, like people always use that, like they like to work out and like, my body's a temple, yo. And they get all kind of excited about it. That, I, like, it's good to work out. I'm not making fun of that. Obviously, I could do more of it. But the point is, 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 is that's truly what's happening. The way that, that you as an individual, you were created by God and as a follower of Jesus, you are his temple. In fact, he is delighted. God is delighted to take up residence in you. That's, that's just ridiculous. Like, that's ridiculous. But you are a temple. You now are the temple. This is, I've been to Israel. That place is, is awesome. And I got to see where the temple was, and that's great. But it is no more holy of a ground than here. Well, man, it's a pretty liberal school. But either way, you know what I'm saying. Like, <clears throat> I'm joking. Um, this is just a building. This is just a school. This is just four walls. Music classes happen here on, during the week, and art over there. There's nothing extra holy about this building. The holiness is in us as the church of God, as individuals. And it's not our doing, but it's his. So when he says, I'm making a people joined together with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, being brought together through the people of God, sharing the word of God, and I'm making you a people in which I can dwell in, he's just set a standard on how we as a church are to live. He just created a standard in that right there. So now for us that have surrendered to Jesus Christ, we are the church. As individuals, as a small C church, meaning this extension, Revolution 22, connected to all other Bible-believing churches in the world, ultimately as one kingdom of God's for his son, Jesus Christ's glory alone. So it's an individual thing brought collectively. Now, if that's the case, if we are defined as a church, if we're going to move forward in this devoted to the mess series, you've got to understand that you, as a follower of Jesus, are the church. If you have not surrendered to the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are not the church. I'm glad you're here. And, and you can be that, but it's a surrender to him as Lord. And so you move forward in that. And then what he does is, okay, so what God has done in this text, he's through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he takes those who are near and those who are far, and he makes them a people. And then he describes them as strangers and aliens and says, you were once strangers, now you're not. You are, you are in the household of God. That means you're never visiting somewhere. You're never lost. You don't, you're not homeless. You have a home. It's in the household of God. You have a place and a name, and you are there. You're a child of God, and that cannot be taken from you. And then he says, it's being built through the apostles and the prophets, and it's being done as Christ is a cornerstone. And to what end? If you just go a little bit further down in Ephesians, in chapter 3, 
After all of those things, if you go just a little bit further down, chapter 3, verse 10, Apostle Paul says, so that, so God created all these things. What is he doing? So that through the church, the manifold, various, many kinds, all kinds, every bit, every aspect, the mystery, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, when we as the church, as individuals, work together as a church, we display the incredible beauty of God and his wisdom. But there's a problem with that, right? Because if we're honest, the church isn't really doing a great job of that. In fact, we're way better at being isolated and holding out and pushing against. We're way better at displaying our wisdom and not God's. And so if Jesus comes as the cornerstone to create a people, and he said, I've done it. I've created this people through this amazing work of, 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 of death, burial, and resurrection. And now when you as a people, as an individual church, work collectively, when you guys work together, you display the wisdom of God. So that means, people, the bride of Christ is supposed to be showing the wisdom and beauty of God here on earth. We cannot do that if we won't devote ourselves to relationships. We're going to fail if we are going to hold everyone at our arm's distance and not be real. We're going to fail, and, and, and it's going to be hard, and what's going to happen is instead of people being drawn to the manifold wisdom of God, they're going to be like, man, that church, I don't know about that place. Ooh, crazy. I don't want to be a part of that. And so Jesus has, has created a people, and he's brought us together. And he's now, if we are a people, if we are a church, then that means that we have specific ways in which we are to interact with everything else. And so what we're going to work through in this series is, is how are we as a church supposed to interact with the, wor with the world? What does the Bible say for us as a church with the world? And what does the Bible say for us with each other? What does the Bible say about us making things right with each other? What does the Bible say about us with Jesus Christ? And what does the Bible say about marriage? And that's what we're going to work through in these next few weeks. But to do it, you got to be willing to step out a little bit. My assumption is even when I brought up at the very beginning, I said, hey, how many of you have a strained relationship? Some of you had such a strained relationship. You're like, amen. We're celebrating that, but it is sad that it's that common. My assumption is that that person's in your mind right now, and you've been pushing against it and pushing against it and pushing against it. And my hope is, is that whether it's the, a strained relationship or it's just the ability to lift your head up a little bit higher and say hello to someone else that walks in the church and actually, like, say hello, wherever it is, I hope that God would take you on that next step relationally where you'd be willing to step out of your comfort zone, where you're either liked by everyone but known by none, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it with this person. It, I could get ridiculously hurt and crushed. But it's too big of a deal to not enter into that. Because an isolated person is not good. When we can together display the manifold wisdom of God, I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to just walk flippantly by myself and hope that maybe you can see some aspect of God, which as the Spirit of God is living in me, you should be able to. I want people to experience the whole grandness and beauty and wisdom of God, which takes us together. So if you're Fort Knox, maybe you just take down the first layer of the wall. 
Maybe just give God, you know, a chance to, you know, knock out a brick here or there. If you're the person that's just so liked by everyone but no, maybe, maybe you just take one of those people that like you and you say, hey, I need to be known. Like, I need you to know who I am so that you can call me to the carpet when you need to so that you can, that you can encourage me on in good deeds and work so you can move forward. I need this to be more together. No matter which way you are, no matter what it is, my hope is that you would take that next step. Because, because God began something so beautiful. He began this, 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 this work where relationship isn't supposed to only be messy. Now, let me tell you, it will be. Let me tell you right now, some of you, you already got really admirable excuses for not doing it. I'm really busy with this, and I got this, and I got that. And it's like, they're all really good excuses. But that's just it, they're excuses. If we are to display the manifold wisdom of God, if we are to be the church, then we are to interact in this, engage in this. And so what we will do next week is we're going to talk about how the church is to interact. How are we to be devoted to the messiness of the world? How do we be devoted to that? Ultimately culminating, the only reason why we can do this is because Jesus was devoted to this mess. And you. If you don't think you're messy, just ask someone that slightly knows you. They'll tell you the truth. The band's gonna come up. We're gonna we're gonna worship and sing some more. And I don't I don't know where you're at, but I, I want to just push on you. If you're if you're here and you're like, man, I'm the guy that's far. I'm the gal that's far, and I just I don't really believe in this this garbage or whatever it may be. I, I would just push on you a little bit. Like you're here for a reason. Like you're here. Maybe it's it's the glimpse that you're hoping that it would go better than it did last time, or maybe it's the glimpse of I know that what I have hasn't been working, so maybe there's something here. And there's no rush in that. But but would you just would you just open yourself up? Like let go of the hands squeezing so tight, and just open up and say, okay, God, like like reveal yourself to me. And if you're here and you're you've been following Jesus for a long time, you were like you got the the sash with all the patches of the scripture memorization. You're like you got it down, and you've been going for a long time. My my prayer for you is that you would see the relationships God has you in more intentionally, and you would you would actually be willing to interact in those areas where you feel like you could get hurt. I I, I made the joke about saying hello to someone when they come into this building on a Sunday. It should be a safe spot to actually say hello and ask someone how they're doing. And, and genuinely actually want to know how they're doing. Like, don't ask if you don't want to know. That's just perpetuating the cycle of distant friendship. Maybe it's just as simple as that. Maybe it's something as extravagant. There's a friend, there's a person, there's a marriage, there's a relationship, there's a sibling, there's something that is just estranged, and you've done a really good job of either hiding from it, distancing itself, and, and lying to yourself, thinking that you can really interact with them as if it doesn't matter. Like, oh, no, we're okay. I mean, I don't like them. But, yeah, we, 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 I totally, like, they have no idea. Wrong. We aren't intended to live at arm's length from each other. I, I had this idea, and it was squashed in my own head, so don't worry about it. But I was going to, like, take all the chairs away, close the garage doors, and make you all sit, like, right on top of each other and be like, figure out how to like each other. <laughs> but that's essentially what this is. We're all a bunch of messy people. And we bump into each other, and my mess goes on someone else's mess. And, and it's ultimately, we lack the grace to give each other the space for that. And so my hope is, is that through this series, as we work through what this means, that, that, that not only would your life be changed because you start entering into a spot where you're more known by God's people, and you're able to see a better wisdom and, and view of who God is, but also that this community would be changed. And not just here, but I mean this community would be changed. That we would actually display what Jesus called us to display, and not some sore excuse.
that we'd actually be surrendered to him in a way that our lives are led differently, that people are like, man, I, it, they're still messed up, man. I know that guy. He's, he's kind of crazy, but, but there's something different there. And I, I want to be, be a part of that. And not for Revolution 22's name. No, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God that's going to transform my life. The kingdom of God that changes my name from addict to precious child of God. So wherever you are, would you just engage in the next step and see what God does as you devote yourself to the mess? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for beginning a church. Thank you for giving me something to be a part of so that I don't just flounder in this world. Thank you for bringing us brothers and sisters together. God, for those that are of your family, those that have received the inheritance that are co-heirs with Jesus Christ in the glory of you. God, may we start living in light of that. Will we start living in light of that in our individual relationships, whether it's just in our immediate family or coworkers or our bosses or our friends or our classmates. And we actually enter into the messiness of actually being devoted to relationships where people don't get why we want to. And, and God, I know what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to push into this and, and the enemy's going to push back. But God, I pray in, in Jesus' name, would you push harder? Would you do what you came to do, which is building your church and nothing standing in the way. God, forgive us for, for holding each other at arm's distance. Maybe this week it's just a call or an email or something to someone saying, hey, I, I screwed up. Like, forgive me for what I did. I miss you. Maybe it's a um, before you, God, saying, okay, God, I surrender. I'm done. I'm done trying to do this on my own. Take my life. Take all of me. And maybe it's just a, I'm done guarding myself. I'm done holding up these walls. I'm done pretending that it's okay to not be known. I'm done pretending that it's okay for me to protect myself from getting hurt. And I'm just going to open up and just watch it get all messy. And I'll probably get hurt. But God, would you catch me in that, knowing that what this is about is about displaying your beauty and your wisdom on this earth for your glory and your glory alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.